Let's go ahead and turn our Bibles to 2 Peter. We'll be in 2 Peter chapter 1. And as you turn there, let me say thank you so much for praying for me and for my family. It's been on the prayer bulletin for the last several weeks now for God's will. And God's will has been made known and clear to us. And we are thankful for you guys praying for us. As we turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 5, and the Bible tells us, And besides all this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you, and abound, they make you that ye shall, not, shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Here we see Peter is giving them a list of things that they need to add to, that they need to grow in. As we recall here just a couple of verses earlier, he's talking to them, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his divine power given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. He's going to give them some knowledge. It's to say we need to, you can't just get saved and have your faith and be settled and be set and not learn to grow and not add We're not saved to sit and soak and eventually sour. (laughs) And it's amazing how how often when people don't have enough to do, they will find something to complain about. This is incredibly evident, even at my workplace, at the post office, how many times we have so much time on our hands and we're just waiting for calls and yet, we find us. We can find ourselves in complaining about these small things. Oh, you know, the supervisor asked me to go do this extra task. Oh, what a burden! Don't they know that this is so and so's job? That's those done by somebody else. And yet, we all get paid a government salary, which is thankful, which I'm thankful for. But yet, the work is not that require, that of requiring the private sector. And yet, it's so easy to sit and soak and sour. And he says, we're to add to our faith virtue. So, you know, that's a nice word. You know, we kind of get the idea of, okay, some, some good moral qualities that would go along with, you know, with someone who's, who's virtuous or who has someone who has virtue. So, you know, I said, well, you know, that's, you know, I kind of get the idea of it. You know, maybe somebody could put this in some better words for me. So the way that uh, uh, Noah Webster defined it was moral goodness. So I thought, you know, that's a, a pretty good definition for virtue, moral goodness. You know, I appreciate Pastor saying that, hey, we ought to be people of our word. And even in our missionary uh, letter tonight, talking about not making void promise, not making promises and not fulfilling them. Boy, you know, that would go right along with 
this idea of virtue, of ha being having that moral goodness. It's virtuous to keep all wood. As Christians, when we add to our faith virtue, that moral goodness, we ought to be good citizens. We ought to, to be the outstanding employees. We ought to know, people ought to know that we're not going to go and do something wrong. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, just a couple, just a, 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 the next chapter down there, verse 3, it says, And through covetousness, they which feign words and make merchandise of you, whose the judgment is now a long time lingering, their damnation slumbereth not. These people were people that were not virtuous. They were covetous. They were greedy or filthy lucre. The Bible tells us there in verse 1, it says, But there were false prophets also among the people. These false prophets. They weren't concerned about helping. They weren't concerned about helping people grow in faith and in virtue and in knowledge and in temperance and godliness. They were concerned about themselves and what they could gain. As it says here, they framed with feigned words, made merchandise. They took money from these people and they didn't do them justice. They didn't serve them. In fact, uh, another, pe another preacher has termed it, they were more concerned with shearing the sheep than feeding the sheep. Mm -hmm. And they wanted just to, to profit from everybody. And that's wrong. That's abominable. The Bible says, you hear you call them false prophets. That's not virtuous. Let's go back over to uh, that pretty, just uh, chapter there, back to Second Peter chapter 1. In the Bible, he says, add to your faith virtue. We're to be virtuous people. We're to be good citizens. It says then, to add to virtue, knowledge. At the end of this uh, letter here, in 2 Peter 2.18, it's going to say, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory both now and forever. Amen. He, his desire is that we would grow, that we would continue to learn more and more. We want to be satisfied with the what we know, what we've had from Christ. The Bible tells us here in in Philippians 1, 9, it says, This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Paul desired the Philippians to grow in their knowledge, to learn more. That's why the church, that's why we have preaching, that's why we have our Bible Institute. Because we want to grow in our knowledge. We want to learn more about God's Word. This knowledge, naturally, is going to then give place to temperance. Temperance, that patience, that ability to say, well, you know, let's just wait and see things out. Being temperate. The Bible tells us that those who strive for the mastery are temperate in all things. In Galatians 5, it says, Says, I would they will cut off which trouble you. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not this liberty for the case of the flesh, but by love serve one another. This temperance, this long the patience, the long suffering that would come with it. We're not going to let small things bother us. We're not going to be distracted 
by the little things. Like at work, we can be distracted by little things that are there. And, you know, these little things that, that we really, anywhere else, would just be like, oh, you know, that doesn't really matter. Okay, whatever, it's no big deal. But when we sit and so sour, when we haven't grown at all, little things bother us. Small things bother us. You would add to our knowledge temperance. Here we see uh, an example of this. Paul, when he was speaking with Felix in Acts 24, when he reasoned with them, the Bible tells in Acts 24, verse 25, it says, and, he and as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. He answered, Go thy way for time. When I have convenient season, I will call for thee. Paul was, when he had to reason with those who were lost, those who didn't believe, Bible tells us, reason with righteousness and temperance and judgment. We should be temperate. We should be patient. Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that we ought to be patient. When you're patient, I thought I said, you know, kind of get the idea, okay, you know, it's not the same as, as just waiting, but the idea is the act or quality of waiting for a long, waiting long for justice or expected good without discontentment is how Noah Webster put it. Now, boy, you know, how often is it, you know, we have to wait, but boy, you know, I wish we hurry up. Oh, you know, boy, especially me, when we're driving, oh, boy, I wish they would just go a little bit faster. <laughs> uh, the patience is lacking. There's not always patience there. But the Bible tells us that we should be patient. In James, the Bible says, My brethren, count on all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith, work with patience. But let patience have a perfect work, being perfect and entire, wanting nothing. We mentioned Romans chapter 5. Bible tells us in verse 3, it says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Not that we enjoy the tribulation, but it does help us to grow in our patience. We're going to say, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not a thing, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. When we go through difficulty, when we go through trials, and we can lean on the Lord, and we can do it without discontentment, Bible says we can, it will help us to grow in our patience. He can help us to grow, to be more patient, and to, then it says, experience great time that I had to learn this was, there was a time that I was working here at, at, at Walmart, and it was part-time, and it wasn't and it wasn't a uh, it, it wasn't really cutting all the needs, but the Lord provided. Shortly after that, I got a, a job at the post office, and after Christmas, uh, being after a couple months of being a carrier, I resigned from that job. And I remember 
going home and telling my wife, well, you know, I quit. It was it was too stressful. I really didn't like the 60, 60 plus hours a, a, a week, uh, you know, six hour days, 12 hours, six, or six days a week, 12 hours a day. I, you know, you know, it looked really good on the paycheck, but it, it hurt everywhere else. And, she, and going through what we had been before that, we said, you know, we were able to look at it and say, you know, this is no place we haven't been before, and we know God will provide. And we would, and because we had patience before, when after, when it came again, we had the experience and we had the hope and the trust that God was going to continue to take care of us, and He did, and He continues to stay to take care of us and to continue to meet our needs. We need to add to our faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, temperance patience, to patience godliness. Godliness with contentment is a great game. And we can wait without this contentment. It's going to help us grow to be more like Christ. We're not to desire the things of this world, not to want the things of this world. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 6.11, But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, Patient, meekness, the list goes on. We're to follow after one thing he mentions is godliness. We're to seek to be godly. Not that we can be like God in every character and aspect, but we to demonstrate lives that would promote God. That God could be seen working through us. The Bible tells in second uh, in Titus two beginning verse 11, for it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us all from iniquity, to purify himself, a peculiar people, Zealous of good works. Catch what he said. He said, We deny ungodliness and worldly lust. We shouldn't be living for this world. We shouldn't be filling the desires of our flesh. We shouldn't be seeking that which we enjoy. We should be seeking what God enjoys. We should be doing what He wants. He says here, Live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Would it be focused? Would it be righteous? We should be living lives that would bring glory and honor unto God. Goes right along with having a virtuous life. Having a godly life. Virtuous life. Well, you know, there's plenty of people out there that are virtuous. That we say, hey, they're a good person. They'll do what's right. But that doesn't always, but doing what's right isn't enough. We should be living our lives that are godly, that would be pleasing to God. You know, a good person, they'll show up to work on time, and they'll work hard, and they'll take care of their family, they'll pay their taxes, and those are all good things, those are all things that we ought to do. But if you'll notice in that list, God wasn't mentioned at all. 
to live a godly life will be in church, will be in his word, will be doing his service, will be telling others about Christ. Would it be godly? It says then to go on in, in verse 7 of Second Peter 1. It says, and to add to godliness, brotherly kindness. We ought to be kind one to another. My children, they know this. Be ye kind one to another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. We ought to be kind one to another. We ought to be forgiving of one another. Unfortunately, we're all people, and all people have sinned, and sometimes our sin hurts each other. We ought to forgive one another. We ought to be kind one to another. We ought to have brotherly kindness. The Bible tells us about having brotherly kindness. In Romans 12, verse 10, it says, Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. We ought to prefer one another. Growing up with brothers, brotherly kindness was not viewed as preferring one another. <laughs> In fact, I was telling a, a co-worker, I was telling someone today, that, or this past week, and they, were, they asked me about the Apple Watch that was... was and so I said, well, one of, the, one of my favorite things about it is the activity monitor. And the only reason I like it is whenever I do better than my brother, I'll be sure to send it to him and let him know that, hey, I'm doing better. I got more activity done. I burned more calories than you did. <laughs> uh, that's not the kind of brotherly kindness, a brother kindly affection with brotherly love one toward another. You might be able to justify that as provoking to good works, um, but 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 in all honesty, we're to prefer one another. We're to honor them. I do uh, I do love my brothers. I love whenever they can come out. And while we have you know these small competitions or whatnot, I'm really. I really love seeing them. I really enjoy seeing them. And, you know, if, if if they came out and said, oh, you know, I haven't had this for a little while. Oh, I haven't had steak. I, I'd make sure we had steak. We, it would be whatever I could do to... <laughs> yes. <laughs> it would be whatever I could do to, to please them because I, I do love them and I, and I want them to... I want them to come often to visit me. <laughs> uh, that's the brotherly love, that being kindly affectionate one to another. We should be have brotherly kindness. Hebrews 13, 1 says, what brotherly love continues. Says, you know, that's, that should always be around. We should always be kind one to another. We should, in honor, prefer one another. He goes on then to add, and he says, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Well, you know, that's almost the same. Except now he says, don't just be kind one to another in the church. Now I want you to be kind to everyone, to those who are outside the church. 
in Matthew chapter 5. Let's go ahead and turn there. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 43, it says, You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's charity. Being loving to those who are unlovable. Being kind to those who are not kind back. It's difficult. It's not easy. But if you remember, at one time, we were the unlovable. If you at one time, Christ came down and died for sinners. Says, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God commended his love toward us. Even that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us when we were sinners. He loved us so much that he gave his own son for us while we were his enemy. We're to add the brotherly kindness, charity. You know, we're not supposed to just do this once and say, okay, it's done. The beginning of this says, beside all this, giving all diligence. This could be our focus. We should be diligent about it. Vigilant. Always looking to say, you know, how am I doing in my faith? How am I doing in virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience? Takes focus, takes reevaluation, and sometimes it takes change in our life. But he says, if you'll be diligent to do all this, tells us in verse eight, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody wants to be unfruitful for Christ. No one wants to come to the last days and when they, as a Christian, we stand before Christ and God looks over our life and we don't have anything really to offer Him. No, everyone wants to hear Him say, well done now, good and faithful servant. But I'm going to tell you it's not going to happen if we're not diligent to be keeping these, to be abounding in these, to have these abound. You know, abound was one of those words that said, you know, I should look that up. I kind of get the idea, you know, it's all over the place. To abound, once again, from Mr. Noah Webster, says to be in great plenty, to be very prevalent. I wonder if we examined your own life, you examine your own life, that you know how prevalent are these characteristics. Can I really examine my life and say, you know, 
I am growing in knowledge because I'm doing this, or I can see I'm growing in temperance, or I know the Lord's helping me to grow with patience and be very objective about it. Or are we looking and saying, you know, I am lacking in some of these. I could be doing better. These aren't so prevalent in my life. Or to abound. These are always to be there. They're to be very prevalent. says, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be fruitful. John 15 tells us that it says that God's desire is that we be fruitful. The Bible tells us on starting verse 1 of John 15, it says, I am the true vine, he is speaking, and the Father is the husbandman. Every branch that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he pruneth, that it may bring forth more fruit. He's going to prune us. These characteristics, they can prove. God can use them to prune that we can not just bear fruit, but we can bear more fruit. God's desire is that we would be fruitful. God's desire is that we would have something to show. In my backyard, we have an apple tree. Now, this year, unfortunately, it is unfruitful. There was that snow late late spring early summer and it didn't kill the tree but it killed all the fruit that tree is unfruitful now we don't have a freeze like we did last year in 2018 that tree was very fruitful the goal, my goals would go and eat, pick up the apples, and they would eat, and and only the good ones, and there were more not-so-good ones than good ones. <laughs> but even among the good ones, I can remember bringing in five-gallon buckets of apples going, we just can't eat them all. We can't go through them. The tree is very fruitful. But I've had to cut some of the branches that weren't bearing fruit. Or they're real easy to distinguish because especially as the it's just starting to bud and starting to get the leaves back and you see, hey, that branch has got leaves, that one's got leaves, that one's got leaves, and that one doesn't have any leaves. Why does not have any leaves? You know what? I, I, so I get my saw out and I cut it off. I get rid of it. There's no use for it. There's no profitability in it. God's desire is not that we would be unprofitable like those dead branches. His desire is that we'd be like the branches that are budding and 
bringing forth good fruit. <coughs> it says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. He's not talking about unbelievers here. He's talking about believers who who have forgotten. <coughs> who maybe say, oh yeah, you know, I was a sinner, but I, I got saved and, you know, so I'm all good now. They are unfruitful. They're blind. They can't see afar off, the Bible says. They can't see that Hey, there's something beyond this life. There's something worth living for more than ourselves. That there is a reward for living for Christ. It says, they're blind. They know nothing. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, in verse 3, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, into the doctrine which is according to godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, and doubting about questions and strifes of words, whereof come envy, strife, railings, evil summerings, perverse disputing of men of corrupt minds. Destitute of the truth. Supposing that gain is godliness. Bible tells us, from such, withdraw thyself. Don't even be around those who are looking to believe that, hey, gain is godliness, that are going to have all kinds of questions and strifes of words. The people, the skeptics, the proud, they know nothing. Boy, I sit here and think, how proud one have to be to forget that hey Christ gave his son while we were yet sinners he purged it and they've been purged from these old sins and yet they're so proud they think oh you know it was I wasn't that bad I, you know I was you know I was okay that's the pride that we tell someone that they're okay with sin in their life. They're blind. They cannot see afar off. They, they fail to consider the eternal reward. They've sacrificed the eternal on the altar of the temporary. They want to enjoy this world. And, well, you know, when I get to heaven, they think that, oh, look at all this money. God must be blessing me. God, I must be in God's favor because I've seen the wealth of this world. But when they get to heaven, it's going to be the complete opposite. It's not, the wealth of this world isn't going to satisfy. The wealth of this world isn't going to bring them, bring about reward in heaven. perfect example of this would be the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. The Bible tells us that the rich man 
he fared sumptuously every day, and he, boy, he had all the goods of this world, and Lazarus, he had nothing. But he sat at the gate, just wanting the crumbs from the rich man's table. A closer examination of the rich man's treatment of Lazarus would show he didn't have brotherly kindness, he didn't have any charity. He didn't really even have virtue. He didn't have godliness, the care, the compassion to have for Lazarus. And the Bible tells us in Luke, Luke 16, I believe. Let me just turn there just to make sure I'm all right. Yeah. In Luke 16, there, the Bible tells us that in hell he lifted up his eyes. And it's in verse 22, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried in by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes in torment. He had all the goods of this world, everything this world could offer, and yet, when it came down to it, when he passed away, he had nothing. You know, there was another man mentioned in the Bible. He had everything this world could offer. Yet he chose to walk away from it, turn it all away. Speak of Moses. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 that he chose rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I was told in verse 24 of Hebrews 11, By faith Moses, when he has come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction of God's people than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the presence of Egypt. Why? For he had respect unto the recompense of reward. He said, You know, I can live this life of course, Egypt during that time was the most powerful nation. They had everything. He said, I can live, I can enjoy this world, I can gain all that I can and have all the pleasures of this world. But he chose rather to leave all of that and suffer with God's people. As it says here, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. He said, I'm willing to put it all aside because there is something greater to be living for. There's something more eternal, more lasting. And I think about it. I say, you know, how many, how many Christians even today don't want the reproach of Christ because they're focused on this world. They haven't weighed the values. They haven't weighed the reward. And yet if we would weigh the reward, we would find that these these things here in First Peter, or excuse me, Second Peter, 
the godliness, the temperance, the patience, virtue, knowledge, brotherly kindness, clarity. To have these things and to live them and to make them prevalent and abound. It's a small, small effort and weight to carry in this life when we consider the recompense of the reward, the eternal weight and glory that will be in Christ Jesus. And the crowns that will not pass away, the treasure that won't be stolen, the rock where moth and rust does not corrupt. So as we close, I say, you know, how in your life are these things prevalent? Are these abounding? Can we honestly look at our lives and say, I, yes, I have faith and virtue and knowledge, and temperance and patience, godliness, or are we saying, you know, it's just not that prevalent. But I want it to be. I want my life to bring glory and honor to Christ. I don't want to be barren and unfruitful like a dead branch on a tree. No, we want to be fruitful for Christ. <laughs>